Hello, welcome back to For the Girls. We are very excited to give you everything you need to know for the Spanish Grand Prix in Barcelona this weekend, plus a look into how F1 logistics work and how the teams actually managed to get the entire paddock to almost every continent. Message us for ideas or topics you want to learn more about. We are at F1R the Girls on Instagram. I'm Sarah. I'm Tiggy. And I'm Chessa. So let's jump right in. We are having the Spain Grand Prix this weekend. It's at the Circuit de Barcelona, Catalunya. So this track is really awesome. The teams are actually really familiar with it already because one, there's a lot of history of racing here. The first GP was held here in 1991. Plus the teams do a ton of preseason testing here. And it's also probably one of the most driven circuits on their simulators as well. Gasly has a quote somewhere saying that he's already done it a few thousand times. So this is definitely a track that everyone's very familiar with. Um, And there's also been a lot of iconic racing here. So a lot of iconic battles on this track, mostly from Schumacher and Senna, or most notably from those two. And then Max had his win here in 2016, where he became the youngest driver to ever win um, a race. He was only 18. Wow, Max. Um, And so some characteristics about the track. There are no changes from last year's race, but 66 laps, 16 corners, some elevation changes. There's a straight that's over 1K long, which is going to be interesting. Maybe we'll get some passing. Yeah, probably two DRS zones and lots of medium and high speed corners. I think people say traditionally this track, it's pretty hard to overtake, but maybe with some of the changes to the cars this year and that straight, maybe we'll see a little bit more action. There are also going to be two races each for Formula 2 and Formula 3, and the all-female W Series will race on Saturday, which is awesome. Yeah, definitely look out for Jamie Chadwick. She's the star of the W Series, and she won the first race in Miami last race. So what happened here last year, Lewis was on pole and won, and Lewis has actually won every year here since 20, since 2017. So Max won in 2016, then Lewis has won every year since. But Max did have the fastest lap last year, and that's the lap record on this track. And the whole race was a super close battle between them. Max had started P2 and then passed Lewis going into turn one. Um, but ultimately, right towards the end of the race, Mercedes did a two-stop strategy that ultimately helped Lewis pass Max on fresher tires with only a few laps left. The results, the podium was Lewis, Max, and Botas, so our old Ham Verbot podium. <laughs> I've never heard you say it like that. <laughs> Ham Verbot, that's so good. <laughs> it sounds like a sandwich. Okay, I'm done. Yeah, I'll have a Ham Verbot. And then Charles was in P4 and Checo was in P5. What kind of racing can we expect this weekend? Um, watch out for Ferrari. You didn't hear it here first. Um, this is Carlos's home race. He's Spanish. Um, and the types of the fast corners that we just talked about on the circuit it's going to be really good for Ferrari. That's one of their strengths. And then Charles also outperformed the 2021 car here last year. Like Sarah said, he was in P4, which was pretty good for Ferrari last year. So I think Ferrari is probably going to have a really good race. But like Tiggy said, overtaking has historically been pretty tough on this track. Last year, there were track changes at turn 10 and 11 to try to make the passing a little bit better. Didn't really help, potentially made it even worse. So what we're going to see here is the main overtaking opportunity at turn one, hopefully some DRS overtaking on the straight. And I think the main takeaway here is that quality is going to be really important because 
the race here has to, has historically been won by the pole sitter. So where you start in the race is going to be really indicative of how you finish most likely. Yeah. And I think if Mercedes can get it together here, clearly Lewis knows what he's doing. He's won, like we said, like I think the past five years. Okay, so let's talk about the teams and their upgrades. Traditionally, Barcelona has been a place where teams bring big upgrades. They're back in Europe. They're off. They've been off for two weeks, so it's easier to get upgrades there. So Red Bull, their car is still trying to lose weight, so watch out for that in the upgrades they're bringing this weekend. I think their main focus is getting better in the slow corners and reducing weight, which will help improve their tire degradation, although theirs is better than Ferrari, which we'll talk about. Um, They're expected to take about 7 kilograms or 15 pounds off the car, which is a lot. Christian also complained about inflation making the budget cap brutal in terms of bringing upgrades, but (laughs) they have plenty of money left. They've used, I think, under a fifth of their development budget so far, so they still have a long ways to go. I wonder if teams are just going to like hold their pocket money and then blow it right at the end. And it's going to be like Hulk F1 cars, like (laughs) insane. Yeah. We'll talk about Haas. They are not bringing anything. And Gunther was like, probably not till July. So wow. So we, we already talked a little bit about Ferrari, but this is science's home race. Hopefully Charles can also have a good race to set him up well for Monaco next weekend, which was his home race. And he hasn't always had the best luck there. And Ferrari's also bringing their first major upgrade package of the season. They have a new version of the floor of the car that'll make it a little bit more similar to Red Bull's. And then the diffuser in the floor will be a new version that they experimented a little bit already with in Australia. Overall, this is a huge weekend for them. They've been a little slow on the upgrade front to get going, so it'll be a nice test to see if this waiting and experimentation has been worth it. One thing is they have a little bit of a problem in addition to trying to match Red Bull's straight line speed. They also have much worse tire degradation, like Tiggy said, on the medium tires than the Red Bull one does. So that's just another thing that they're going to have to level up and and try to overcome. Yeah, we'll see what happens. It's also a really big test for Mercedes this weekend. I feel like we've been saying that every week, but we're waiting for their (laughs) eventual comeback. They have a car that's capable of good speed, as we've seen with Russell, especially during the practices in Miami, but they really can't, haven't been able to figure out race pace and consistency yet. This is a really key race for them on deciding the future of the car design. Mercedes ran the standard side pod type car that we see on the rest of the cars during the preseason testing in Barcelona. So they will have some comparison data for their zero pod concept they've been running. And so likely this will be the moment that they decide whether they want to ditch this zero pod concept they've gone with so far and go back to the original side pod design that the rest of the teams have or whether they continue to roll with this zero pod concept and just try to make the most of it. Yeah. Toto said that he still believes in this zero pod concept, but ultimately he was like, really the decision is in the data. So we need to look and compare the data for these two to, to make the decision on the, on the way forward. Yeah. It's super good for them that testing was on this track and that they were able that they ran the side pod model on the track on this particular track. They're not totally out of the championship fight. I think they kind of are, but it's definitely starting (laughs) to inch towards the the point of no return for this season. But like we said, Lewis has won here the past several years. So 
this could be a big moment for him if he's able to outperform the car since he's so good on this track. We'll get to our hot takes, but I, I have Lewis doing well. Um, so McLaren, they're definitely hoping to bounce back from Miami. Lando says he's put the retirement behind him, although we think he put it behind him at 5 a.m. on Monday morning, rolling into 11, which <laughs> one of our friends spotted him there, which is so funny. Iconic. The morning after the race. Uh, this was also a good race for Danny last year. He was P6, so let's hope he can pull it together. They also performed well here during preseason testing, and they're also bringing upgrades. So fingers crossed for them. So Haas is not bringing upgrades, obviously due to this cost cap. They're going to wait until July. Again, Gunther said he's pretty confident in the car already, and so they can wait a couple more races and be okay, despite Barcelona, like we've seen, being a pretty obvious place to bring upgrades. So they're just gonna hold on to their britches, see what happens, and then I guess wait till later. Mick has Mick has also got to get it together after finishing last in Miami from hitting Vettel and having a little bit of an issue there. We're really rooting for him. We really root for everyone here at for the girls, but Mick, you gotta get it together. Otherwise, I don't know what we're gonna be able to keep saying about you. <laughs> <laughs> Our two alphas, so Alpha Romeo, they have a big upgrade focus on the floor of the car hoping that they have an easy, quote-unquote, easy weekend without any big repair jobs like the last couple races. So fingers crossed for them. And then Alpha Tauri, Pierre is just out here being a world-traveling Instagram influencer in his time off. A lot of filters going on, like the ESPN Instagram as well. He went to Tulum like they all do. <laughs> of course, of course. Well, hopefully he will be in focus mode for this weekend. Yeah, nice and refreshed after a boys trip. And so in terms of Williams, there was some big news from them this week. Nick DeVries, who was last year's Formula E champion, was also a Formula 2 champion, is going to drive for Williams in FP1 in Alex Albin's car. And so doing this is a way that teams can test out potential future talent or drivers they might be interested in for the future. And one fun fact is the 2022 regulations actually require all of the teams to have two Friday practices where they let rookies drive. So this is going to be his F1 debut. So as we've been saying, watch out Latifi. I think there's definitely some people coming for a seat. And I think it's a an intentional choice that they're putting him in Albin's car so that they'll be able to see how he performs compared to Latifi. Oof, Interesting. Yeah, that is tough for Latifi. Looking at Alpine, we've talked about Oscar Piastri, the F2 champion, who's probably the first up for the next open F1C. Alonso's contract isn't set for next year, so we'll have to look at that. The Alpine, Alpine principal did say that they'll probably make an Alonso Piastri decision in July. So this is Alonso's home race. So hopefully he'll do well here, maybe prolong the decision for a little bit longer and try to hold on to his seat too. But Apparently, fun fact about Alonso and how much people in Spain love him. In 2019, when he wasn't racing, he wasn't on the grid that year, less people came to the race. Like a significantly less people came to the the Grand Prix there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the colors of Alonso fans versus uh, Carlos fans. Oh, true. Will they be Ferrari or will they be Alpine? Um, But we'll see. So Aston Martin, apparently they're using a huge chunk of their 2022 budget to bring what they are calling half a new car to this race. Oh my God. Oh, wow. I hope, I hope it turns some luck around for them. It's rumored to look like the Ferrari with a slimmer rear and wider side pods, but this is sort of a funny note back in 2019. They imitated the Mercedes car and people started calling them the pink Mercedes before they rebranded to Aston Martin. 
And so will they be the blue Ferrari this year? Only time will tell. Mm. (laughs) They did have some complaints about shipping delays that may postpone the new car till Monaco or just have one of the two cars ready for this weekend, but we shall see. So getting into our hot takes for this race, mine, I already sort of previewed this, but I think this is going to be a Lewis comeback race. I think he will be on podium. He has done so well here. It is his time. I hope Mercedes figures out the car because I do, I think it'll be more fun to have like a three-way championship race rather than just Ferrari, Red Bull makes it a little bit spicier, but fingers crossed. Mine is Carlos and George both on the podium. I think I'm maybe just manifesting. I really want Carlos up there, but I think that home race energy, it could give him the push he needs. And I think George has just been so incredibly consistent and really has has shown that he's been outperforming the pace of the car. So pulling for him as well. My cold take is Max wins. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Sarah, is there ever going to be a race where Max does not win? (laughs) Let's let's stop letting Sarah do this segment. We all know what she's going to play every time. (laughs) You're canceled. (laughs) I will say for next week, I want Charles to win. Same. Let's redeem his, his bad luck there. I think for this week, you guys are all taking my hot takes. Mine was Carlos ahead of Charles. So Carlos obviously doing well for his home race. And then one Mercedes on podium or at least P4. I don't know which one. I think Lewis really needs it, but I think Russell deserves it. So we'll see. So really quick before we jump into our little logistics segment of the episode, we're going to talk about some headlines. So the biggest news in our minds is that Checo welcomed another baby into the world, Emilio Perez. Um, It's him and his wife's third child. So really good timing with the off week between races. So good job, baby Emilio. (laughs) That's so exciting. Another big or sad news moment was Charles was driving in the historic Monaco Grand Prix and crashed Nicky Lauda's vintage Ferrari. This wasn't his fault. It was caused by a broken brake disc, but still so sad. He just, his Monaco curse continues from last year when he got pulled for his home race and wasn't able to start, crashed and wasn't able to start the race. So like I said, I... I'm hoping that he pulls out a win um, next week in Monaco because he really deserves it. But this is probably a bit of a bit of a downer so soon, to, so close to the race. Poor Charles. Just a quick vibe check on some of the other drivers. So Seb made a comment about how driving is his passion, but it's been really hard to reconcile with climate change. Which love to see him saying that and. I know Formula One has been trying to do some things related to climate change and lessen their footprint, which we'll talk a little bit about in logistics, but I'm hoping more drivers and more of F1 as a business starts to think about this even more. Otherwise, Lewis has been living his best life in New York City. He was at the SNL after party, which is so crazy. He was with Post Malone and Selena Gomez. And Max- we love all of his Lewis New York content, his yes. elevator selfies in his building in Tribeca in his super stylish outfits. Yes, we love it. He was running on the West Side Highway today and I was like, oh, imagine. He missed, I missed him by like literally 20 minutes. But oh, such a sad. Max and Lando went to a birthday party in Monaco and they hit the jet skis off some big wakes, which was uh, fun to see. 
And Botas, I'm sure if you guys follow any F1 content, you have seen this naked butt Botas pic that is breaking the internet and being memed all over the place. <laughs> Apparently, he's like selling posters of it now, like NFTs. <laughs> oh my probably. god! Probably, I don't know, <laughs> but they'll do anything for marketing. I love it. <laughs> um, in other news, F1 is spending 240 million dollars on the Vegas paddock. McLaren will be entering Formula E next year. And then we've talked a little bit about Michael Andretti, the IndyCar Titan, is willing to pay $200 million to enter as the 11th team. He was in Miami trying to make this case. People didn't seem too jazzed. And Toto said that they need to show they'll bring in more money than the other teams um, will lose. So... And there were really funny photos. People with kind of Zoom lenses saw him meeting with different team principals and carrying around what looked like a page trying to get signatures from people. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Savage. A petition. So he was out there hustling, but it didn't really work. They didn't, no one seemed super excited about it. <laughs> that was his one time to do it. He's going to have to lick his wounds and come back in Vegas and see if he's like, I'll pay $400 million. <laughs> oh my God. Women's health is so important and balanced hormones are key for that. We've been loving Hormone Harmony from Happy Mammoth, who's committed to making women's lives easier. Hormone Harmony contains adaptogens, science-backed herbal extracts that help the body adapt to stressors like hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. We love it because it helps us maintain optimal hormone levels and supports our mood and general well-being. There is a reason that one bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code F1Rthegirls at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code F1Rthegirls for 15% off today. We all need a little extra health booth sometimes, and Fleur Marche makes it easy for us to supercharge our wellness. Their botanical wellness patches have been such a fun addition to our routine. We just stick them on wherever we want. They have them for sleep, relaxation, focus, and other things. And the patch delivers ingredients to your body in a subtle but effective way, and the results last up to 12 hours. Fleur Marche also has botanical gummies and their new organic nutritional powder, Green Machine. They only use the best ingredients and are tested for potency, contaminants, and heavy metals before and after production. And one of our favorite things, we also love that the company is founded and inspired by women with the mission of helping us feel 100% every single day so that we can have full energy and crush it every day. Find your new wellness essentials at fleurmarche.com and get a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order site-wide with promo code for the girls at checkout. Orders over $50 also get free shipping. Go to fleurmarche, F-L-E-U-R-M-A-R-C-H-E.com. Use code for the girls for 20% off your first order. Okay, so now for our little special segment, we are going to talk through logistics, which we admit they're not the sexiest, but they're really interesting. And for an F1 season, think about what it takes to move the equipment of 10 teams across five continents in nine months by truck, plane, boats. There's a lot of good stuff in here. So Chessa, do you want to get us started? Yes. You know, logistics is my passion. Yes. As the resident logistical coordinator, Chessa for so long would be talking about just kind of randomly saying, oh, wow, how do they get this stuff across the Atlantic Ocean? And Chessa would be like, we need to know. (laughs) (laughs) So for each race, the teams need to bring enough parts to essentially fully replace their cars if they break. They bring 2,500 liters of fuel, 200 liters of motor oil, and 90 liters of coolant, not to mention the tools and over 20,000 pounds of electronic equipment. So 
apparently like when you're adding this all together, the bring, the biggest teams bring as much as 50 tons of gear. That's like seven or eight elephants every <laughs> weekend. And in a video they made about this, William said that they need 400 miles of wiring and cables to run their IT. Yeah. And when you see on the screen, the pit wall and that whole office they have in there running the strategy, that's all built at every single race. So it's exactly. Just- a massive undertaking. So the traveling teams are about 50 to 75 people, and they include, of course, the drivers, the principal, the engineers, data analysts and mechanics, the pit crew, the media team, PR people, and then, of course, security and trainers, managers, and agents. So the teams also have to bring a ton of food and equipment for the motorhomes and the hospitality spaces because they have to host and feed all of these people. And then on top of that, there's also 30 containers of hospitality equipment for each weekend and over 300,000 pounds of broadcast media equipment. And so (laughs) when we talk about hospitality and how much hospitality there was in Miami, that's also all usually temporary. And so that's just adding on to the massive amount they need to haul around. That is insane. And it's probably a good time to mention quickly what we were saying before, just about the increased scrutiny on the environmental impact of shipping all of this stuff all over the world. I guess a good example of this is the recent downsizing of the iconic three-floor McLaren brand center, which had kitchens, driver rooms, meeting rooms, office space, like everything. But after evaluating their travel costs and the carbon impact of all of it, McLaren said, let's scale back the famous motor home and refurbish it to be much smaller now. I think it only needs eight trucks to transport it instead of 17, which is insane. (laughs) But these motorhomes just are crazy overall. They require over 15 people and like 30 hours of continuous labor to assemble. It's funny that they call them motorhomes because they're really just temporary buildings or like actual homes. (laughs) Yeah, you would never know seeing them on screen that they're temporary. Like they look real. So how does this actually all work? Since all of the teams are headquartered in Europe, the European races are a little bit more simple logistics-wise. Everything for the races in Europe is moved by road. So the cars, the spare parts, and the essential tools are loaded into branded team trucks that kind of like travel to the race. And then other non-essential things like fuel and, and other equipment will be delivered by local partners on the ground and other technical contractors. So For this, the cars aren't really taken apart too much here. They're just packed nicely into special truck containers um, and not really broken down. And one thing to note is technically Haas is American-owned, and so technically they're based in North Carolina, but I think everyone considers that to be just a little bit more of a technical thing because they are actually based out of Europe. Good point, Sarah. So for the international races, the equipment is split up into critical and non-critical parts. The non-critical things are like jacks, tools, and other catering and hospitality setups. What's cool is the teams kind of like have five different sets of these, and those are always moving by boat between the races. So that helps to kind of offset some of the crunch time things that happen with the critical items. So this is referred to as the kit. This includes the chassis, the tire, engines, wings, computers, all of that. The cars for this actually get fully stripped down to their lowest parts and then packed up and moved by plane. So what's cool is the teams have their own custom cargo crates and most use cargo planes chartered by Formula One management. And then DHL helps organize a lot of that. They're the official logistics partners of F1. Depending on where the teams are located, the flights leave Europe either from Munich or London. And so a fun fact is DHL actually is a special 35-person team who travel to every race to manage transportation, setup, breakdown, and packing. And then in addition to DHL, 
uh, since they're all independent entities, the teams don't just have to rely on F1 corporates. They can also contract with their own logistics providers as well. So for example, Fryer now uses Seva Logistics after using UPS for the past nine years. I will say if I ran a team, I feel like I would want to choose a provider that was not DHL. (laughs) (laughs) I actually had the best experience with DHL today. So it's so funny that you say that. It was like so organized. I have had to go to the DHL New York City headquarters in your neighborhood, Chessa, to like pick up a package. I trekked there (laughs) deep into Hell's Kitchen and it was not a pleasant experience. All their good, pe- all their good people are on the F1 yeah. team. So, how about the timing of all of this? The items needed to get the garage set up arrive at the circuit first on the Tuesday after the last race. Then the rest of the cargo comes, including the cars, gets in on Wednesday. Typically, by Wednesday afternoon, everything is in the pit lane and paddock. And the paddock is fully operational and ready for media day on Thursday. Sometimes custom checks are done at the circuit to speed things up. But for the most part, teams can't access their crates until every team's cargo has arrived. And then when the race is over, they pack it all up. And for back-to-back weekends, there's only three days between to get stuff actually moved across the world, which is crazy. Insane. I can't even like do my laundry in three days. (laughs) (laughs) If it's not a back-to-back race weekend, cars are flown back to their factories to be repainted and get all tuned up. Or if you're the, the Red Bull, you go back for a little boot camp and lose some weight. (laughs) Yeah, or if you're the Williams, you get paint stripped off you to lose weight. (laughs) It is so interesting thinking about when we talk about kind of reliability issues and hydraulics issues and pipes not being set up correctly, how I wonder how much of that is attributable to human error from having to rebuild the cars. Not that the teams would ever say that, but if it's ever like, oh, actually just a mechanic forgot to plug something into the right place when entirely rebuilding this car. It's actually interesting you say that because when I was doing a lot of research for this, people talk a lot about how the mechanics bear the brunt of this and they're very very tired from all of this like constant setup and and redoing and they have honestly like some of the hardest jobs so i'm sure i mean we see that during the races when someone crashes in practice or quali and they have to stay up all night repairing everything they are unsung heroes of, of formula one for sure 100%. So what about the tires? So Pirelli, as we know, is the official tire provider of F1, and they have their own whole logistics operation as well. They have a massive fitting center, and they also have their own paddock club suite and catering tent, so you can be a tire VIP at the track. Pirelli has to bring 1,600 tires to a race since each car gets 13 available sets of slick tires plus the three sets of rain tires. And like the teams, Pirelli has a fleet of truck to get the tires around for races in Europe. For races outside of Europe, they use cargo ships to bring around six shipping containers full of tires to the track. So in the days leading up to the race, the teams will bring all of their wheels to a tire fitting tent, and then Pirelli technicians there mount, balance, and fill each tire by hand. Wow. It's insane. And actually, fun fact here, not all of the teams have like the budget and resources to have 40 sets of wheels so then between the weekend if one tire gets degraded they'll like go to the Pirelli tent they'll take off the tire and put a new one on and then actually after the race ends the teams will come back with their mounted tires Pirelli will dismount crush you know take off the tires 
and then ship them back to their factory to be analyzed and then recycled. Love to see the recycling. And then the rims or the wheels are returned back to the teams. Nice. So what about all of the logistics and supply chain issues this year that we are hearing everywhere? Formula One is not immune. We have seen logistics complications all over the world due to COVID, the war going on in Europe. Christian was saying it has the potential to wreak havoc on the season, but honestly, things have seemed smooth, at least from our point of view. I'm sure it's it's crazy for them on you know behind the scenes. With inflation, though, the cost of freight is skyrocketing, and it's another reason the teams are pushing back on these cost caps. But it's the biggest season yet. There's a ton of back-to-back races, so... It's been extremely tight on the logistics side and will continue to be. I think some of the teams have already had some issues. Haas had to miss the start of Bahrain preseason testing when freight was delayed due to a plane problem. And DHL also had to do a rescue mission to recover equipment from three teams ahead of the Australian Grand Prix after the ship it was on was delayed. See, DHL doing the doing God's work. They can do the rescue <laughs> missions. It is. It also seems almost inevitable that at some point if they keep stacking back-to-back races like there's going to be some disaster where a team can't get some of their core parts on time we end up having a super long season with all back-to-back races maybe they'll float the idea in one world of like having two cars or like two of the essential kits who knows true interesting well i hope you guys all enjoyed this logistics deep dive as much as we did we're trying to help you guys nerd out with us all the time so i hope you enjoyed it and We'll see you back here for a recap of the Barcelona Grand Prix.